Good morning. Hope you got your Bibles where they're already starting to open up to John all by themselves. We're in John chapter 1. If you're a guest with us, welcome. What we have just began a couple weeks ago is an expositional study through the book of John. That, that just means we're going to start at the beginning and we're going to work through every single verse in the book of John. We're going to let God's word turn the light on, as it were, in John's language here this morning. And so John 1, a couple things as you find your place. We're going to be at verse 6. Let me show you this. We've got a few of these out there on the book rack. You can also get them from Crossway or even Amazon. These are journaling Bibles. I just want to show that to you. And so sometimes as the sermon notes that's got in front of you, there's not much there. If you like to take notes, there's plenty of notes that's going to be on the screen today. But the cool thing about this Bible um, is it's just the book of John. There's a place to write notes on it. And so think about it. It's especially working through John. It's one of the most useful, used books in the Bible to help people grow and also to evangelize. If you write your notes in this, you will have a study guide to make disciples and for your own edification forever. And so just encourage that if you're interested in that. So let's stand with God's word. Turn my clock on here so that I make sure I don't preach too long this morning. This is God's Word. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man but of God. This is God's word. Pray with me. Lord, now, we are your people that were gathered together by your sovereign hand and by your sovereign grace to hear your word this morning. And so, Lord, we have shadows in dark places in closets of our life as your children, and we don't want to have them, Lord. We want to glorify you. So turn the light on today, God. Let us see not the problem in others, but if there is a problem in me, if there be any wicked way in me, me, God, reveal it, Lord, and let us now, as we come to the table at the end of the service, we come to the cross where there is forgiveness because we are your children. Lord, be it online today, or be it here today, gather your children. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen. To be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, I I just want to help you see from beginning to end today that God's word speaks into the very situation we find ourselves in. This is not news to you, but we live in a world that of distinctions. And quite honestly, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, which is one of my prayers that we will be, 
We love distinctions to some degree. We love to use the language us and them. We've heard that a lot this week, haven't we? Using language like we always or they always or they need to and we, we do. We draw distinctions. It's been on full display the last couple of weeks. Ethnic distinctions, black versus white. But it's nothing new under the sun, is it? It's been with us our whole life. Let me just give you a few in the South. Rich and poor. Blue collar, white collar. I'm a Gastonia boy, born and bred. So we were east side, west side. North, south. You ought to have seen what happened when I married a Yankee. Small town, big city. Small church, big church. Oh yes, we do it too. We need some biblical clarity. You see, if you went on my bookshelf in my sunroom, you would find all kinds of things. You would say, I can't believe the preacher's got a Quran in, on, his, on his bookshelf. Why does he do that? Why do I have books about, about African-American men or slaves and what they went through and, and women's ministry on my bookshelf? I have all kinds and I read all kinds. Just ask my family. But listen, I do not go to that bookshelf to answer the questions of what I'm watching on the news. Where we go is to the book, to the very Word of God. Everything I read outside of that must be sifted through the lens of God's Scripture. And so let's see what God's Word says. You see, there is biblical clarity on distinctions. There is a beginning to this thing. And if we go back into the beginning in Genesis 1, we find an Adam and an Eve, and we find the beginning. We find a distinction, creative distinction, you see. Mankind, humanity and non-humanity. The people created in God's image and everything else. There's only one race, brothers and sisters, and it is the human race. There is relational distinctions in Scripture. There's relational distinctions in your life. This is nearly common sense, but sometimes we lose that. There was children of God, and they were not children of God. In the Old Covenant, it was ethnic Israel and everybody else. In the, in the New Covenant, there is the community of faith, and there are those that are not in the community of faith. Yet, here's the truth. We would all say we want fairness, equity, love, justice, we would all say we want equal opportunity for all. But still, brothers and sisters, we know this to be true. We are right now making distinctions that the Scripture forbids. What's the problem? What's the solution? Well, the problem, brothers and sisters, is sin. Sin always divides. Sin loves distinctions. Sin loves to divide at the very foundational level of the family. And sin always says the problem's out there. So if we ask John the Apostle, we call him sometimes the evangelist because of the nature of this book, or John the Baptist that we're going to talk about today, here's what I believe both of them would say. What we need is to see the light, capital L. We need to see the life, capital L. You see, it all comes back down to who is Jesus and how are we responding to him. Because everybody responds to him. John the Baptist and John the Evangelist simply are bearing witness to who Jesus is. Then they call people to respond. So John is 
as it were, and we'll see this in the language, he's presenting a case, almost like a, a lawyer before a jury. He's presenting his argument. He's going to do it. He's laying out his prologue now, his introductory statements, and then he's going to make his case. And then here's what he's doing. Even in his introductory statements, he's calling for you and for the world to make what one commentator said, a life-defining decision. One that changes everything. You see, when the Lord turns the light on, there's neither a point of reference as a Christian for racism nor entitlement. Neither one of them should make any sense at all if you are walking in the light. Because Christ died to make us one new community. This is our main idea. John the Baptist was sent from God to call a new community to believe and become children of God. I want us to see our first point. John was sent from God. He was sent from God to bear witness for a purpose. So three things I want you to see. John was sent from God to bear witness for a purpose. He was sent from God. Look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now John is not speaking of himself. John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. But he does, he does not identify himself by his name. He's speaking here of John the Baptist. Malachi 3, if you want to turn there, is the prophecy for John the Baptist. Just think about this before we read it. We learned this last week. The word is speaking when we read the Old Testament. As we heard, the Logos is speaking. Listen to what the word, the Logos, says. Malachi 3.1 Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Matthew chapter 11 verse 7 says that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of this prophecy. He was sent from God. And as we're going to learn next week, he was sent from God to prepare the way for the Logos. To say, the Logos has come, the word has come in the flesh to reveal God's character to call all people to believe. This is the message. John is emphasizing not the identity of John the Baptist, and I'm not going to spend any time on that today because the Bible doesn't. His function. We even call him John the Baptist. If you ask John the Evangelist, he would probably call him John the Witness because that was the reason he was sent, you see. God, John the Baptist was sent to bear witness. That was the mission. Look at verse 7. He came, John the Baptist, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The, this is a key word. If you, if you have begun as you read through John, also to read 1 John, you're going to see many of the words, the key words show up. Witness and testify. They're the same word. They're the word where we get the word martyr. And when we think of martyr, we think of someone who is killed for their faith. The very essence of that word is someone who simply bears testimony, bears witness to what is true. That's what John, listen, 33 times John uses this word. 76 times it is used in the New Testament. 47 of those times it's used in John's writing. John is concerned about the witnesses. And here's his point. A good witness doesn't draw attention to himself. 
A good witness testifies and makes the message, the point, the truth of the situation clear. That's what makes a good witness. He's saying John the Baptist was that witness, not because of his own abilities, but simply because he did what he was sent to do. He was sent for a purpose. Look at verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. This is our word that I want you to grab a hold of today. We're going to talk about believe and all many of these things as John's gospel unfolds. I want you to not miss the word all this morning. Because when Christ came and when John stepped on the scene, he began to prepare the way. He changed everything, brothers and sisters. Listen to this. This is important this morning. Now, because Christ has come, God's saving activity is not restricted to any particular people, but is open to all without distinction. Let me say that again. Christ has come, and God's saving activity is not restricted to any particular people, but is open to all without distinction. But they must believe. That means to place one's faith in, to yield allegiance to to acknowledge his claims of who he is and what he has done. John came for a purpose to bear witness. John was also sent to call a new community to become the children of God. He's just introducing this idea of community. He will build on it. This is the difference. Now one's community status is determined by their relationship to the word. Not whether their father was Abraham. But their relationship with the word. The Logos. Christ himself. This new community will be called out of what John says is the world. Verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Two key words here. We got the word witness. We also now have the word light and world. It's going to come back up. I want us to look first at the word light. Here he says true light. Why did he put the word true on there? Well, the word true in John's gospel, in John's mind, often points to everlastingness, to heavenliness, to that which is eternal versus that which is temporal and earthly. He is the true light. We would say he is the capital L light. <laughs> you know, we even did this yesterday because we've been having the live streams been a little choppy and we've get, we're taking care of that, but we want to make sure people could hear God's word clearly. So we recorded this message yesterday. And as you know, we've, we've recorded many sermons when we couldn't get together. Um, ahead of time to make sure the quality was good and the word was clear. And here's what, I've never had to pay attention to this before. The difference between natural light and artificial light. But we had to, because if you were watching it on TV, you would sit there going, why has Stephen got that shiny spot on his face? He's dark over here. It would be a distraction. You know what we found? Well, Michael found, he just tells him, he just tells me, Stephen, you need to turn that light off. That natural light is better. This is nearly obvious, I think. Have you ever been to Arizona? Our 10-year anniversary, that's a long time ago now, 16 years ago. We went to Arizona. It's the best trip I ever had. If you ever get an opportunity to go, you should go. 
But, you know, we see pictures. We watch it. We can watch things on National Geographic and all these people get paid a lot of money to go all the world take pictures. But I tell you what, when we were in Sedona watching the sun come up, there was just nothing like it in the world, you see. That which is genuine is distinct from that which is something a reflection. It's just not the same to see it on a postcard. It's not the same to see it through somebody else's lens. It is just Jesus, brothers and sisters, is the source He is the life. He is truth. He is goodness. He is the perfection of God wrapped up in flesh. And He was put on display for us. True light always illuminates. Listen, look at the text. This light shines upon every man, whether they see it or not, without distinction, but not without exception. And you need to think about that statement. The growth group's going to talk about that. The light shines upon every man, whether they see it or not, without distinction, but not without exception. That means that people just, somebody died just now and never heard the gospel. The gospel was placed into the nation of Israel. God revealed him, Yahweh revealed himself to them. They had the Pentateuch. They had the first five books of the Bible. And now Christ has opened it up. To all people without distinction. Brothers and sisters, if we do not understand this, we are missing the very nature of the gospel that makes the good news good. This light shines. In other words, the light's not withheld from the Gentiles. It's not withheld from the slaves. It's not withheld from the women. Jesus is no respecter of persons and neither should we be. This is the very nature and character of our Lord when we ask the question, who is Jesus? Jesus is the true light that comes into the world. That brings up the second word, world. What what does John mean? John uses the word world in a specific way. And he does not use it in a positive way. And the world for John is not the universe It is the created order in rebellion against its maker. Specifically the created order being human beings and our doings and our affairs. So you see the distinction? Talked about this in the beginning. There are only two distinctions here. Those that are yielded to their maker, that John has said is Christ himself, and those that are in rebellion against their maker. There's our distinction. And Christ came to reveal the light to all without distinction. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now flip over with me to John chapter 14. Look at verse 16. John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17, even the Spirit of truth, listen, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Do you see the distinction? Those that are in the world and those that are not. 
So when John in chapter 3, when he says God loves the world, far from being some kind of endorsement of the world, is a testimony to the very character of God. God's love should be treasured. Not because the world is so good nor so big, but because the world is so bad. This makes the good news good. It makes God's love breathtaking. God responds to rebels against their maker by sending his witnesses to deliver his message. That the gospel now is open to all peoples without distinction. They must believe. The question that should ponder our consciousness when we know who Jesus is, is not why God saves some, but why does God save anybody? When all humanity stands in rebellion against their nature and that which is non-humanity has never disobeyed Him. This is not only the problem with our today. This is the problem throughout redemptive history. Those in the world, brothers and sisters, need life. They need light. Understand this in Scripture. Those who believe are no longer in the world, but have been chosen out of the world. We use the word called out. This new community has been called out. It has been chosen out. John 15 says this, verse 19. John 15 and verse 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. You wonder why people who walk in darkness hate you. There's the, they're making a distinction too. There's a distinction between those that are in the world and those that are not. You see, but this is the truth. This new community that he's just beginning to introduce here is all made out of rebels. <laughs> That's the new community. That's that level at the cross that we use, cliche that becomes cliche is really true. We're made out of all rebels. Rebels who now believe that God chose us out of our rebellion. This new community, listen, must make a life-defining decision. And every person does. Look at verse 11. He came to his own, Jesus, and his own people do not receive him. You see, one community rejected him. One community received him. One group of people rejected him. And one, one did not believe and one believed. The Jewish people were the very people that Yahweh revealed himself to. They had the law. They had the commandments. They had the sacrificial system. They had the very presence of God in their midst. And when their Messiah came, they rejected Him. They rejected His person. Look at verse 12. Good news. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You see it. The 
This is the very message of the gospel, brothers and sisters. That he came to his own first, they rejected him. But to all who did receive him, whether they be Jew or Gentile, whether be slave or free, all who received him, all who believed him, receive just means to take it or to accept it. I want you to see this in action here. Turn with me to Acts 13. Acts 13. Look at verse 46. Paul and Barnabas are preaching. As Paul would always do. He would always go to the Jews first. He would always go into the, and talk to the religious leaders of the, the Jewish leaders that was in whatever town he went to. Paul and Barnabas are doing that. Listen to what happened. And Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 48, listen to this, it's amazing. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. And glorifying the word of God. Don't you miss this. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. We must receive him. The call, brothers and sisters, is to believe in a person. Listen to this person who spoke in Isaiah. Jesus said, Isaiah 45 verse 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. This is the call. We must make a life-defining decision. And listen to what he says. Verse 12, to those who receive, to those who believe, life, light, blessings and privilege. You know what he calls that? He wraps it up in a box. Children of God. J.I. Packer says the highest privilege of, of our salvation is adoption because it how close it pulls us to God. John chapter 11, verse 51, the high priest didn't mean to, but he made a little prophecy about Jesus. John 11, verse 51. He said he didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nations, verse 52. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. I say this as the absolute truth of our present situation. The gospel is the only power that can take all peoples and make them one people. The gospel is the only answer. It is all we have. And listen, it is all our nation has. It is the gospel. Salvation, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Salvation includes a decision, but salvation is not merely a decision. Let me say that again. Salvation includes a decision, but salvation is not merely a decision. Look at verse 13. This new community must be born of God. He's talking about the children of God here. Look at verse 13. The children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you take out all the knots there, you could say the children of God are born of God. 
the children of God are born of God. We've got to understand this decision, this necessary decision in light of verse 13. This new community must believe, but they first must be born. He's going to talk about that in John 3. Behind every necessary decision stands a decision of God to give them new life. Behind every necessary decision stands a decision of God to give them new life. Fallen humanity, those who are walking in darkness, those who cannot see and cannot hear, are not saved because of their family heritage, or their ethnic distinction, or their sincerity, or their, even their own initiative. They are saved, first and foremost, by a sovereign act of a holy God. That's why they're saved. They're saved by sovereign grace. God, listen, this is the very essence of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. God must first intervene. James 1.18 says this. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. Do you see our part in this, brothers and sisters? Grab this today. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, which means what is your part? The word of truth. I can't make anybody be born. Neither could John the Baptist nor John the Apostle. We were merely witnesses to the light. It's God must bring life. It's God who must give light. We are witnesses. We are not the source. So you understand the decision? We must exercise the faith that God supplies. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Lest we have something to boast of. I do not know a better way to understand. The beauty. And the love of God. Than the decision to adopt. Because whether you have ever thought about it or not. There are no natural children of God. Save one. The rest of us are adopted. We are adopted. Do you understand that? God says He brings light to people without distinction. And if they believe, He not only will forgive them, He not only will declare them righteous before God, He will pull them into His family and adopt them as their own. And listen to me, as someone who has adopted, a decision to adopt has a starting point. And it is the parents who make the decision to adopt. And listen to me. Those children are not less loved. They are especially loved. And so are you. Because we, brothers and sisters, are the children of God. And listen. So is everyone who repents and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. So what today? You see, life is this new life. This new light is no achievement of yours. It's no achievement of mine. It's not because we have the right government or read the right books. It's not because of human desire or our power. It is by the sheer gift of God's grace. The question is, how are you responding to it? We, can, we are responding, both of us today, either as a non-Christian or a Christian. There's only two. There's no middle ground. There's no nominal Christians. There's no lukewarm Christians. There are only Christians and there are non-Christians. John's message is the only proper from a non-Christian is to repent and believe. Can I show you that in, by, in the Scripture? Acts 2, 
Peter's preaching the gospel. Remember our questions? Who is Jesus? What are you going to do with him? Those are our two questions at the beginning of John. Peter's preaching. Acts 2, look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was impossible for him to be held by him. Do you see how he's explaining not only who Jesus is, but what he did? He's not done. Look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What is John saying? This is who Jesus is. And we have been sent as His witnesses to declare the truth of God. He goes on to say, verse 37, look at this. Back up to verse 36. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't stop. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. This message is not for just us in this building, it is for all people that God has called Himself. And Jesus has been very clear this morning. He comes to all people without distinction. So if you are not a Christian, the love of God has come to you this morning and calling you to repent and put your faith in the only one who can give you hope and life and truth. It does not change. How are you going to respond brothers and sisters, as a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We see Paul saying, we are merely ambassadors. It's what we are. We're witnesses. We can't save anyone, isn't it? frustrating sometimes. I can't turn the light on when there's darkness. I can see the darkness. I can't turn the light on. I am a witness. I am an ambassador. That's what he said. We appeal to people on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to Him. He longs to pull people close. John the Baptist's life, you see, pointed somewhere. It pointed to someone, to the Lamb of God. And listen, Christian, so must ours. So must ours. John's prologue gives us a pattern, you see. When we approach someone who is not a believer, we need to present who Jesus is, and then at some point we must call for a life-defining decision. And the rest is in the power of the Holy Spirit and the will of God. I want us to end with this question, and how I long for God's people to meditate on it. Am I making distinctions in my life that the Lord never made? No, I'm not talking about them, right? Those distinctions we make. I'm talking about the distinction Christ makes, the church. Am I 
making distinctions in my life that the Lord never made. We, I invite you, if you're not going anywhere on Wednesday nights, we're praying through the summer. We're praying about these things. This was our text. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. We prayed over this passage Wednesday at 6.30. We'll pray over another one as we pray for ourselves and our church and our community and our nation. Will you with me call some things to mind today before we respond by going to the tables? Will you remember with verse 12 that you were separated from Christ? Will you remember that there was a time when you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel? You non-Jew? That's what he's talking to. He's talking to Gentiles there. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were a stranger to the covenant of promise. And since you were cut off from the covenant, since you, were, since you didn't know what your own problem was, which you could not see what you could not see, you, do you remember when you had no hope and was without God in this world? We need to remember that. As we think, are we making distinctions in our life that Christ never made? We need to remember that at one time we had no hope. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are for all, he's still talking to them Gentiles, you see. The Jews are coming. They're over here. They hate each other, by the way. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near to what? To God. I had no hope. We didn't, they didn't even know who he was. The witnesses came. They declared who he was. They called for a decision. And the blood of Christ did its powerful work. Verse 14, he himself is our peace. Do you see that? I wish I could do this. This is what, get this picture in your mind. Paul, as it were, is taking a Gentile believer by the arm. He's taking a Jewish believer by the arm. And he said, don't you know that Christ died to make us one? It is Christ who killed this hostility. He made us one family. We didn't do it. He did it. He is our peace. He destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 17. He came and preached to those who were far off peace and those who were near peace. Why? Because both Jew and Gentile needed the gospel. And both must repent and believe. And both are made into one family. He made us both one. If someone is in Christ today, I don't make them family. Christ already has. They are family. And listen. 
if you right now are making distinctions and treating brothers and sisters as anything less than brothers and sisters, we are walking in darkness and not light. And God has called us to repent and be forgiven and to treat our brothers and sisters for exactly what the Lord has made them to be, family. There's only family. There are no black church and white church. There is no Asian church and Hispanic church. There is only the church that Jesus died to make one. And that is it. And if we don't understand it, we don't understand the power of the gospel. The gospel did its work. And it made us one. And you say, well, how about those that are outside of Christ? This is what I want you to get this morning. You see, there's two distinctions. Those inside, family. Those outside, Hear me today. Those outside, those are not grown. God loves them so much that He gave them you. You ever thought about that? Yes, God loved them so much that He sent His Son. Yes, but don't miss what John is saying in his book. God sends witnesses of His love. That's who we are. We are His witnesses. That's the only distinction that exists in this side of the eternity. Those that are in the family and those we long to be. And we are the witnesses. Brothers and sisters, I call you to learn from John's witness and testify to the true light of our Lord that came to all peoples without distinction. Let's pray together. Lord, I would not be here and neither would anybody in this room if you would have not brought us to new life. If someone had not proclaimed the word. If the Holy Spirit had not done its work. But you did. Someone did share the gospel with me with my brothers and sisters here and all over this city. And so, God, through all the politics and through all the opinions and through all the pain and all the frustration and all the aggravation and all the sickness and all the natural disasters, oh, God, unite your people. Forgive us, God, when we make distinctions that you didn't make. Oh, God, make us one. Lord, that we would reflect the community that you called us into. Not because of any other reason, but because we simply have been the witnesses that you called us to be. Oh, God. Help us finish the work as John the Baptist did. For he did not live a long life. But he finished the work you called him to do. Oh God, that's what we want to do. And so now, Lord, we respond to your word. As Christians, Lord, what we are going to do now is we want to take a minute, Lord, if 
you allow us because you commanded us. We know that you will receive our worship, not only as we stand and sing, but as we go to the tables. And so, Lord, now we pray that you would forgive us by the blood of the Lamb. Because we are your children. And though we fail, you are ready and able to forgive. And so, Lord, we do not forsake the blood of the cross today. We implore you as we come to the tables, we long for you to receive our worship as we remember body broken for us, the blood of your son that was shed for us, that we might be your one new community forever. Oh God, did you give us just a foretaste of what is ahead? Receive our worship, Lord, as we stand and sing and as we go to the tables. In Jesus' name, amen.